welcome back to episode 28 of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Another bumper episode ahead. We can continue in our basketball feel. After the episode we had with Shane Hill last week, I've decided to get on one of my other favorite players in none, none other than Leroy Loggins. Leroy has an incredible story. Obviously, American-born, came here as an import back in 1981, and he actually played in the NBL. When we talk about longevity, he played for over 20 years between, what, 1981 and 2001. Also represented Australia at the 1992 Olympics. He's had an incredible career, which included three NBL championships, three MVPs, and also he represented the NBL first team at the awards nine times. So it's quite an incredible career. Today he's actually launched, he's helping a lot of kids with his foundation. So it's going to be great to get insights into both his career, what it made him what made him successful, and also just little things like leaving home. He grew up back in Baltimore, back in America. So it's going to be interesting just to find out just exactly what it was like to grow up in those sort of areas. He was also drafted by the Detroit Pistons in the round six in pick 161 back many years ago but for for the level of talent that he had it's just if you didn't get a chance to actually watch him play please go back and maybe check him out on YouTube and things like that because his style of play was just very very smooth one of the greatest imports and then obviously a naturalized Australian later in his career so one of the greatest players to ever play in this country before I get Leroy on the show just a big thank you to everyone tuning in and subscribing. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes. You can also catch it on Stitcher or check it all out at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you do have an opportunity, if you can review the show as well, just helps me grow and I can reach more people. And the easiest way to do that is just simply log on to your iTunes app on your iPhone. Just simply search Talking With TK. You can do the same method if you're sitting on a desktop on your iTunes program as well. But without further ado, I introduce Leroy Loggins. Okay, guys, I introduce special guest Leroy Loggins. Leroy, Leroy is a Australian basketballer who played in the NBL between 1981 and 2001. He also represented Australia at the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. His career included three NBL championships, three-leg MVPs, and nine all-NBL first-team awards. I welcome to Talking with TK, the amazing Leroy Loggins. Leroy, welcome to the show, bud. Good afternoon, TK. Uh, is that all I've done? There isn't any more. No, I didn't. Wait, how, good is, how good is your intro? Uh, I was off the could, chain, my brother. I could easily have been drafted by the Detroit Pistons. Oh yeah, you could have gone through the whole through the whole career, but no, that's fine. That's fantastic. It's always good to <laughs> re- reflect back on what you achieved, I guess. For sure, Leroy. I've been a big fan, like I told you, for a long, long time. You know, you neutralizing into an Australian. It was quite an incredible career, seeing that you started all the way growing up in in Baltimore so let's let's just you know I'm not from America I actually go there quite often but I haven't been to Baltimore yet so can you tell us a little bit about your hometown and and where you grew up yeah Baltimore is on the east coast of America probably about 45 minutes from from DC or the White House uh it's predominantly uh I guess black community uh we have our biggest uh, import is uh, uh, ships coming in and out. I forget what you call it, but, yeah, we have a big port in Baltimore, and uh, we also have a place called the Inner Harbor where it's been redeveloped and have a lot of uh, restaurants, and, and it's right on the water. You know, it's a tourist attraction. Uh, but I grew up in a place not far from that in a community called Cherry Hill, which is a, you know, a low socioeconomical area, uh, predominantly black area, uh, Afro-American, I should say. And, uh, 
Yeah, that's basically where I grew up at. And I don't know if your listeners were out there watching ESPN 30 for 30 yesterday evening, but there was a show on there called The Baltimore Boys uh, about a school in Baltimore, Dunbar High School, which produced four uh, NBA players, Bugsy Moes, David Wenge, Reggie Williams, and, of course, Reggie Lewis, who uh, passed away due to a heart failure. So... Muggsy Bugs used to be one of my favorite players, too, because I'm only short like him, so I always was inspired by someone like Muggsy. Yes, he was electrifying, and, I mean, even when he was in high school, that's all I could hear about was just kid named Muggsy Bowes, who was only 5'3", but was putting it on fire. And also, back in the day, my sister, Teresa Loggins, was a high school All-American. She averaged 38 points and, I think, nine rebounds and eight assists a game. So, yeah. And I always say that's the reason why I left Baltimore, because my sister had more props than I did. <laughs> <laughs> who, taught you to play the, who taught you to play the game, Leroy? I basically taught myself for a while. Uh, I started playing basketball when I was 11 years old. Uh, I just was walking past a gymnasium and I heard some sneaking squeaking and thought I'd go in and investigate. And as you know, they say it's your calling card. So I walked through the doors and that was all she wrote. I knew it was something that I wanted to be involved with for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, you know, sports, especially you just described where you grew up and, you know, I'm sure that there was dangers being on the streets and things like that. Do you think basketball was the main factor for you staying away from any trouble? Uh, well, to be quite honest, I didn't stay away from any trouble because trouble was always around in the community. Mm. But I was very fortunate enough to, uh, to to spend a lot of my time learning the game of basketball. But I also played other sports. I played baseball, I played gridiron, and I also uh, ran track as well. So, you know, we... When it was baseball season, we played baseball. When it was football season, we played football. And it went on and on. Basketball season, we played basketball. And I was very fortunate enough, because we lived in a low socioeconomic area, we were given free tickets to go watch professional sports. And a lot of the times, you would sign up at the recreation center and get on the bus at night and go to an NBA or NFL or uh, Major League Baseball game, and the bonus was you not only get to see the game, but you get a free hot dog and a drink as well. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, yeah. what were you best at when you were growing up? Was it basketball or was it one of the others? No, I was good at all the sports. Uh, but I had to, you know, I came to the crossroads when I was about 18. I had to make a decision. I thought, you know, I played baseball. I used to pitch and play first base. And when I got old, I thought, nah, that ball's coming a little bit too fast for me. Then I played football, and <laughs> I kept running into guys and getting the wind knocked out of me. And I said, nah, these boys are getting really too big. I can't play that. So then I was left with basketball, and I thought, that's my choice. That's my calling card. I'll go with basketball. Yeah, and were you heavily recruited from like colleges and things like that? Oh yeah, when uh, it's a bit of a funny story about about you know my my high school career, which only lasted for two days or two games, I should say. I uh, I couldn't make my high school basketball team, and uh, unfortunately for me, we have what you call a summer league in Baltimore, and our Cherry Hill Community Summer League team was one of the best teams in Baltimore City, but when it was time to go to high school, I chose to go to a high school 45 minutes away from my, where I lived, which was Forest Park, where my brother and sister went. And all my, yeah. teammates, all my teammates went to a school called Southern High School, in which they were like number one in the state. A lot of those guys got scholarships to go to college. And here's poor old me, can't even make the... Forest Park High School team, but I'm the best player on my summer league team. So I played two games and then I, I quit. And fortunately enough for me, the, uh, the the junior college coach in which school I went to, the Community College of Baltimore, he was umpiring one of the games I played in. 
And I asked him, could I come play for him? And he said, well, you're going to have to do a whole lot better than what I saw. So I ended up going there for two years or two, three years, rather. But it was only a two-year school. Yeah, Lero, were you tall when you were young? No, but I still have my good looks, though. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't that tall. I didn't grow until... I think I got in year 12. Year 10, I probably was one of the medium guys in the classroom, but year 12, I definitely stood out. So it, it kind of happened immediately for me. And, of course, when you have a growth spurt, you uh, and when you have a growth spurt and you're poor, you look kind of funny and wearing high waters and shirts that only come up to your elbows. So I had to put up with that for a while. So then you go to Baltimore City College for a couple of years. Yeah. Whereabouts is Fairmont State where you ended up? Fairmont State is in Fairmont, West Virginia, which is probably uh, maybe eight hours away, six hours away. But I was okay. determined to, I was determined to turn, turn my life around because when I first went to you know Baltimore Community College, I dropped out because. No one in my family had ever been to, to college or university, and I tried to do it all by myself without any support or help, and I ended up going to school anywhere from 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night, and I thought, nah, basketball practice starts at 3. I don't even have a chance, so I dropped out and started hanging on the streets. My friends encouraged me to go back, in which I did, and the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, did you end up graduating with a degree? Not from, uh, not from... Not from Baltimore, what about Fairmont? Yeah, yeah, Fairmont, I ended up with a two-year degree. Uh, I can't even remember what it was, but it was a it was a great accomplishment for me because I never applied myself in school. And once I got to Fairmont, my coach, Joe Retton, he basically helped me grow from a young boy to a man, and then I started putting work in the school and and focusing on life, and as soon as I made the decision to do something with my life, my life changed just like that. Yeah, was was he your first, you know, major mentor? Uh, no, I've had other mentors, and growing up in Cherry Hill, we had uh, people that, you know, used to coach teams and, and you know, ran recreation centers, and, yeah, there were quite a few mentors, Joe Gray, uh, Mr. Mr. Warren Wells, uh, Mr. Brown, uh, uh, Mr. Ch uh, I can't only remember his last name was Trick. I mean, his, <laughs> his nickname was Trick, but he ran one sixty one sixty three. So, you know, there were a few people in the community that, you know, we looked up to, and uh, they basically taught us taught us some about you know sporting skills as well. So. Hey, Leo, yeah, have you got kids now? I have two, two. I have two avatars, mate. One's <laughs> one's twenty-two, and the other one's eighteen. So I have a boy. What sort of what sort of lessons pretty, do you try to teach them about kind of education and taking their opportunities? Oh uh, well, I just tell them about my life experiences, and and you know I don't try to force anything down their throat. I just tell them. My son, he really gets into my stories, but when sometimes I try to explain it to my daughter, she goes, I don't even want to know about it. <laughs> but she's a good girl. He, she actually lives in Sydney. Is, is he into his basketball? No, no, no. He was when he was a kid, but he, unfortunately for him, he, he, he obtained a foot injury and uh, he had to stop playing for a while, which he started getting into music and Self-taught, bass guitar, lead guitar, drums, keyboard, wheels of steel. So he loves his music. I try to participate with him sometime. You know, I might get on the drums or something. But oh, you got very, some skill. Nah, I'm not even going to go there. I, <laughs> I, can keep a beat. I can keep a beat. I'll put it to you like that. All right, so the Detroit Pistons then come calling. They draft you. I think it was round eight, you pick 161. Like, back in the day when the Detroit Pistons showed interest in you, you know, mm -hmm. how are you feeling? And, 
like what is the process to even getting you know scouted by an NBA team? Well, for me, it was just all about you know playing basketball. Uh, I was taught it doesn't matter where you are; if you are any good, they will find you. And that's basically what happened for me, because uh, I you know I played in the NAIA, which is you know a small conf- uh, small uh, collegiate. It's not D1, it's not D2, not D3, but NAIA, so just over junior college. But I was drafted number eight, and I was walking home one afternoon, and one of my teammates, I bumped into him, and he said, guess what happened? You just got drafted by the Detroit Pistons. And, you know, I tried to be nonchalant about it, but as soon as we left, as soon as I left his presence, man, I sprinted home just to catch the 6 o'clock news, and, and it was there that, you know, because i, I got to admit, ever since I was an 11-year-old kid and I started basketball, one of, my, one of my dreams and one of my goals was to get to the NBA, and I thought, here's my great opportunity. So they sent me a ticket, flew me out to L.A. for a four-day rookie camp, and uh, I thought I did pretty well. They must have thought I did pretty well as well because they ended up cutting me on the fifth day, and I was disillusioned with the NBA, so I thought I was taught a lesson by my coach Joe Retton in Fairmont State that sometimes it's better to be a a big fish in a small pond than be a a small fish in a big pond. So I thought I'd come to Australia and make this my NBA. Yeah, who was the first, you know, people that contacted? Because you ended up coming to Australia and... 81. I read a really great story about you the other day where you came to Australia with 20 bucks in your wallet and you answered yeah, well, that to you. Actually, that was in 1979. I came over with the NAIA All-Stars. So that song by Macklemore, I was singing that back in 79. I got $20 in my pocket. So, uh, wow. yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I bought that $20 from my Aunt Rosie. And uh, I bought a suitcase, and I bought my dad's uh, sports jacket because I didn't have a suit back then. And yeah. uh, one thing, one thing about me was, I wasn't going to let this opportunity go by. You know, I let so many opportunities go by in my life that I thought, once I, you know, I went to Fairmont State and started growing up as a, a young man, I thought, now nah, I'm taking this opportunity. I know too many people that still come back from you know, on that journey or whatever and shoulda, coulda, woulda, and I thought, I don't want to be one of those people. I'm going to take this with both hands, and if I don't, somebody else will, and, you know, that was the start of my Aussie career, basically. Yeah, so you arrived here in 79, so mm-hmm. I can hear you, you've got a bit of an accent between the Australian and Aussie, and you can you can speak a little bit of slang. You've got a few few mates here and there. What do you yeah, guys of think of the Australian, the Australian people and a little bit well, different language? Well, i got to give it to you straight. When I first got here, I was infatuated with Olivia Newton-John, but I didn't know she was from here. <laughs> I thought she was American. But when I heard she was from Australia, and I lived on the Gold Coast for two months, and I thought just maybe one day, you know. But it, it never ventured, waited that I met her, but... You know, I, I, I'm not silly either because I also realized that I've spent more time in Australia than I have in America. So if my accent is changing, and trust me, when I go back to the hood, they tell me, man, what's wrong with your accent, bruh? You know, <laughs> you're losing your accent. I'm like, that's okay. long as y'all don't revoke my ghetto pass, man, I'm cool. So, yeah. <laughs> So uh, they do know, people do notice it, but, you know, hey, that's what it is, is what it is. And I still go home and see my family and friends, and they still love me, so. Who's the one that taught you? Who took you under their wing and just showed you all the Australian slang, bud? Oh, man, I was very fortunate enough. Like I say, when I came here in 79, I came here with 11 other uh, small college All-American basketball players, and the talk of the day was, you know, we were training in Brisbane. We'd have to be up at 7 o'clock every morning, and they were going to have this big draft because, you know, two guys were going to Toowoomba, two guys were going to Ipswich, 
two guys were going to the Gold Coast, and the rest would be on local teams in Brisbane. But everyone wanted to go mm-hmm. to the Gold Coast. So they had this this draft one day, and I read my horoscope. It said something's good's going to happen to you today. And lo and behold, first name out the hat going to the Gold Coast was Leroy Loggins. And I played for a guy by the name of Dave Atkins. And, uh, no, sorry, Dave Claxton. And uh, I, I hung out with the surfer boys down there on, on the Gold Coast, and we trained once a week and partied the other six, and we only lost one game. And the game, the game like that we lost, loss. the game that we lost, the coach couldn't make that game, and my teammates got into a bit of a, a all-out brawl on the court. But if you looked at the, the tape, Loggins was still sitting on the bench because Loggins saw a movie by the name of Midnight Express on the way to Australia. So I thought, nah. And Midnight Express is about a guy that goes to a foreign country and ends up going into a foreign prison, and a lot of bad things happen to him. So I thought, nah, I can't afford to get into trouble. So how do you end up at the Brisbane Bullets in... 81? Uh, because of my, uh, I guess, winning or my success when I came over in 79, I went back and finished school. And then, uh, you know, I had that NBA tryout, but I also had a, a Olympic invitation to go for an Olympic tryout in 1980. And uh, I tore that invitation up and threw it in the garbage because... I had low self-esteem and low confidence, but in saying that, no one ended up going to the Olympics because they boycotted Russia in 1980. So if I don't go, nobody goes. So that low self-esteem and low confidence, obviously you've been able to change that around seeing it, all the different things that you've achieved through your career. What was the turning point to changing that around? Uh, I think going to going to Fairmont State, but also getting graduating from there and coming to Australia. And, you know, like I said, once I'd taken that opportunity to come here, I started growing a little bit, but I still wasn't ready yet because things were starting to happen really fast for me. So, you know, to, to actually make that leap, that leap to, to go into an uh, invitational Olympic tryout with only 75 guys from America that was a little bit daunting for me, and I thought, nah, I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough. So, and, you know, once I, once I got, you know, cut by Detroit and didn't go to the Olympic tryout, because, you know, I think Magic and Larry Bird and all those guys were there, Carl Malone, I thought, you don't want to be the guy that says, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and in the back of my mind is what I really would have been able to compete with those guys. So mm. that's where the Olympic opportunity came to me again because my life is like a boomerang. I try to throw it away, but it keeps coming back to me. So, you know, in 92, I went with the with the boomers. So, But before that, I thought I need to make a living, and all I wanted to do was play basketball, have a career, whether I got paid or not, it didn't matter because I was in a, back in Australia playing with the Bullets. You know, I had such a great short stint here that people enjoyed me. You know, like I say, we only lost one game. I thought I should have been the tournament MVP, but a guy by the name of Dave Nelson won that who also came back and had a great career. And I thought if I could just – you know, do something to make my parents proud and not be in trouble and enjoy life, then that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, Leroy, do you believe in fate? I actually do now, you know, because when I kept trying to throw my life away, it kept coming back to me, and I guess it was more like, you know, basketball was going to be... transportation to my next destination and that's what i do now I work with young kids i give back and uh i try to instill them instill in them some positive uh some positive uh messages about life and 
focus on where you want to go and what you want to do, and if I can support them, that's what I try to do. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Leroy Loggins Foundation. It's you know something that you founded. You know, it's it's been a while that it's been open now, ever since you retired. So, you yeah. know, you're going on was it 15 years that it's been open? Yeah, about that, 14, 15 years. Yes, but we're we're no longer the Leroy Loggins Foundation. We're the Leroy Loggins Community Organization. So there you go. We've been going for about 14, 15 years now, but it doesn't seem that long. But I tell you, I've had a lot of success with the kids, and that's important, and that's all I want, you know. That's where I yeah, get my big a... smile and go ahead. Yeah, Leroy, do you have a vision for the for the community at all, for what you're doing? Yeah, one day I'd like to open up a, a community building, similar to the one I grew in, for kids to come after school and learn positive things you know, to learn sporting uh, skills and to learn, uh, what would you call it, arts and, you know, to sing and to dance and to be able to come and shoot pool and play table tennis. And and if we had a swimming pool, learn how to swim and, and yeah. just be involved in community events and empowering the community, not just the kids, the grown-ups as well. Yeah, is it kind of like a place where kids can say, stay safe and at the same of time course. they can grow and learn new skills? Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, working with kids, you know, I have my uh, organization schools program. We have a Youngstone program where we work with kids from four, five, and six-year-old. And uh, high school we work with years seven to 12, so... What we do is also support kids that, you know, graduate from year six that go to high school in year seven now. So we have a program right there, our game program, to hold their hand when they come to high school because they may not know a lot of kids. And it's a bit bigger than, a, you know, than their normal situation. There are more students. It's a bigger school. So, yeah, we just try to make it a, a, a better environment for them, a safer environment for them to learn. Yeah, that, that's you know that's very very decent of you, Leroy. I've got a quote from you that I've heard a number of times. It's I don't predict, I produce. Correct. So where did that come from, and what's that meaning to you? Well, when I used to play, I used to always get people because you know I used to put up some pretty good numbers and stuff like that, and uh, people used to always on the street go, "Oh, how many points you gonna score tonight?" How many points are you going to score, you know? And I'm like, uh, I don't predict, I just produce. So in other words, I'm not predicting how many points I'm going to score. I'm just going to go out and play basketball. And whatever happens, I know I'm not good, that I'm going to get the points that I need to keep them happy. So that's how I came up with that phrase. I don't predict, I produce. And I didn't want to sound cocky. Oh, I'm going to get 50 points tonight. Oh, I'm going to get 60 points and I get two. That's embarrassing for me, so I just said I don't predict, I produce. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Leroy Loggins. Next on the show, we're going to be going a bit of a soccer field. One of my favorite players in Nikolai Topol Stanley. He's actually half Mauritian, which, you know, same as, well, I'm a full Mauritian, but it's uh, we've got very similar heritage with our parents. He also captained the Western Sydney Wanderers, which is my team for a long, long time. He's back in the A-League this year with Newcastle Jets, but here is a little snippet of my chat with Nikolai. Yeah, I try to, but it's very hard to really put it into perspective unless you lived it. You know, it's, yeah. um, unless you've really known struggle, it's, it's kind of hard to put it into words and really be meaningful. You know, I didn't, I didn't know struggle until I had to do that, and I, I didn't think I realised what I went through until I actually got through it. Um, and at the, at the time, I was, I guess, it wasn't what I was thinking. But on reflection, you know, I, I can I can be proud of myself that I stuck I stuck with it, and you know, I I battled through the many tins of spaghetti and tasteless meals to to get the training and um, and to really persevere. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show 
via iTunes or Stitcher, and please leave me a five-star review. If you want to get in touch with me, best way is Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com, or please hit me up on all the different social medias. But for now, let's get back to our show with Leroy Loggins. Leroy, you ended up playing 20 years in the league. What was your secrets to longevity? Self-motivation, and like I said, I mentioned before, to try to keep keep my family and my parents happy back in America, you know, because I was a kid. I have two younger sisters, an older sister and brother. I was a kid that was never going to become anything. So once I got to, you know, Fairmont State and I grew up a bit, I thought, you know, life isn't so bad after all if I apply myself. So when I got that opportunity to come back to Australia and play and play for the Bullets that one year, in which I left and went to Adelaide in 82, 83, but I got back here in 84. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, live a clean environment, you know, away from a lot of the things that I grew up around in Baltimore and start a family and just be like a normal person. But, you know, whether I played basketball or not, I still enjoyed the, the atmosphere here, the people, the country, you know, I just never wanted to leave, to be quite honest. Yeah, Leroy, has your parents ever come to Australia to visit? Yes, I was very fortunate enough to bring my mother, my sister, and my sister's son to Australia. Briefly, I think they stayed maybe a week or so. But I was always trying to get my parents to come to Australia for like 16 years. I begged them to come over here. (laughs) And it took... Yeah, it took my dad's passing in order for my mom to come here and and appreciate this place. And one thing she said to me, she said, you know, if your dad was still alive, we probably would have come and moved to Australia. And I thought, okay, because my brother, I tried to get him to come here and start a business, but he wasn't ready. So sometimes you got to save yourself before you can save others. So. You know that was that was my my plan anyway. So, but uh, I I knew once I stepped foot on Aussie soil that I was never going to leave this place. You know, and thank goodness things worked out for me. And that was part of my motivation. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to Baltimore. Yeah. I don't want to go back to West Virginia. You know, and that's why I was able to play so long. And also because I believe in power of the mind. A lot of people think I might be a little, but it, it doesn't <laughs> no, worry me because I, I know I know what I was doing was a part of my process, and a lot of that was power of the mind. Was there any particular? Did you used to do visualization? Was it meditation? How did you apply? You know the power of the mind. Oh, I was I was using visualization when I was. When I was like, I came across that stuff when I was probably about 13 or 14. And as I got older, I learned to train my brain to play the game before I played it. So say if we're playing, say, the Melbourne Tigers, I would sleep and eat and make myself dream about the game before I even played it. And also I used to love my ginseng, which was legal. And, you know, I'd have a couple squigs of ginseng. It opened up my pores. I'm ready to go, you know. <laughs> also, I used to get acupuncture to help me focus. And, yep. you know, I used to catch a lot of slack in the locker room because the guys be like, oh, here he comes again. What's he going to do at halftime? Cut up a chicken, I guess. So, <laughs> you know, it was just one of those things, man. I just thought, and even when I got older, Guys used to complain, oh, it's too hot. I don't want to train. I'd be like, it's too cold. I'm going in the car and get my coat. And, guys, we would train hard for two and a half hours. Everyone would run to their car and go home. I would stay in the gym, and I would just, if I didn't make 20 foul shots, I couldn't go home. And that's in a row without missing one. And that's how my my, my foul shooting improved. So it was the whole mental attitude toward the game and, once I got, you know, I met my wife, and then she started getting me to take vitamins and looking after myself and, and, you know, eating properly and 
and getting adequate rest and she would make me little little goodie packs to go on the road you know i felt like a little schoolboy going to school but i'm going to war <laughs> and you know sometimes our plane would be delayed or be we can't check into the hotel to a certain time and those guys were hungry but i'd have my little snack pack of banana chewing gum a sandwich and yeah just a lot of times got me over the edge so i'm a real believer in power of the mind and like you say, visualization, man. I, I loved it. Still use it to this day. And uh, it was a great tool of mine when I played basketball. And speaking of that, my last game against the Tigers, a friend of mine's son passed away with a brain tumor. And mm. I didn't want to, I knew I was going to do something special for the game, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to break the ice. I didn't want to sound cocky once again and say, oh, I'm going to, we're going to, kill these boys because you know i'm doing this in memory of this kid what i did though was write his initials on my shoes before i played just to have evidence of what i was talking about and then i ended up going out scoring 35 points which was my last game and i can't remember if we won or lost but what i can remember is that and once again we might be going do 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 I could have swore everyone was moving in slow motion and I was going a hundred miles an hour. So, you know, that was my last memory of the game. I dedicated that game to that boy, which was basically was going to end up being my last game for the bullets. Hmm. Yeah, that's quite a touching story, man. How did it make you feel when they put up the statue of you outside the stadium? Oh man, that was freaky. That was real freaky because I don't know if you have a statue of yourself, TK, but when I had to go and see the prevailing of the statue, I felt real creepy, man. Like, there's actually another me, you know, and it was just a freaky feeling. But I, I, I got to admit, I, I totally enjoyed getting plastered, though. Oh, they had to, oh, okay. I was going to ask you that, how they actually do it. Like, is it life-size, like... You know, your foot's yeah, it's life size. size. Yeah. It's life size. Well, first they start off, you know, going to this to this place, and this woman comes out with cold hands, but she starts rubbing her hands and make them warm, and then she pulls out a jar of Vaseline and starts rubbing. Oh, oh is this a kitty show? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they put that. Sounds like a pretty good time. I think I need a statue there. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like making beer can chicken, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, they put the Vaseline over you, so it makes the plastic easy to get off. So yeah, it was it was different, but you know, it was such an honor, such a great honor, and that was a gift from the the, the Brisbane community and you know the people of Queensland, mainly Brisbane, that thought that I had done something great for the city by giving them my all in all but in saying that it was it was not just by myself you know every guy that I played with and played against you know they all contributed to that statue mm. just before we move on to your best memories from the bullets just one quick question about the 92 Olympics when you got chosen to represent Australia and you rang back home and told your parents how did they feel about you representing Australia? Uh, they were over the moon. They were over the moon mm. because when I got naturalized in 1989, because I used to always talk to my mom before I made any major decisions. So when I uh, got selected in 19, well, when I became naturalized in 1989, I asked my mother, how does she feel about me being naturalized? And she didn't have any problems with that. She said, just as long as you're happy. And uh, mm. I knew as once I gave up my American citizenship, I could reapply again once I obtained my Australian citizenship. And I didn't have any problem getting it. But to go out there and represent Australia at the 92 Olympics was mind-blowing. Uh, I couldn't believe it, and I was telling one of the reporters asked me, and I said, uh, you know, a friend of mine used to flip through the house in West Virginia, in Fairmont, 
and she flipped her way all the way to the Olympics and the gold medal, and that was, uh, I just had her name on my head. She was from Houston, little girl, Mary Jo Ratton. Her coach, okay. her uncle, to coach me, so... Yeah, but going to the 92 Olympics was definitely one of the best times of my life. You know, I, my son often che- teases me about me walking in the back of the Aussie uh, group when we come out on the opening day parade, and he goes, why are you walking like that, like your ankle sore or something? And I was like, that's because I have swagger, son. I'm here representing <laughs> all the people. Yeah, I'm here representing all the people who said they couldn't make it or couldn't do it and that's why I'm walking like that. So Yeah, you had a great team, but Andrew Gaze, Luke Longley, you know, Mark mm-hmm. Bradkey. I even spoke to Shane Hill the other day. He didn't even make the team. Yeah, yeah, that was you know, that was such a great team. To be quite honest, I thought I could have given more given an opportunity, but it it never happened for me, so but I was offered to go back in ninety six. And I didn't go because I made a commitment to my family that I wouldn't go overseas anymore. What a bone. You know, if you ever, they say, if you could go back and do it again, what would you change? I would have gone mm. to that 96 Olympics because it was That's in America. Atlanta. In Atlanta, and they actually played the dream team as well. So, yeah, if I had one regret, that would be it. But in saying that, All I right. didn't let my family down. Turning away from regrets, you know, you've had a marvellous career, three times NBA champs, you know, you're pretty much player of the final in each of those, nine times all NBL first team. Now, through all of this, what's your proudest moment? Uh, probably representing Australia at the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was great. It was great to win those... NBL championships, but that's that's a whole nother level of basketball that that uh, international league. And I tell you, man, that that is one huge feeling that I will never ever forget. And just looking at open ceremonies and stuff like that just gives me goosebumps, man. But and saying that, always winning a championship, you know, collectively as a team, everybody on the same page and. You know, coming out a winner not once but three times and losing twice by one point, and I played on two different teams. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's just one of those things, man. When you reflect and you look back, but that that's definitely one of my proudest moments was representing the Boomers in '92. Hey, Lero, from '84 to 2001, you obviously play what 17 years for the Bullets. You know, that's in professional sports, you don't see loyalty like that. Was there in any year any you know did you get offers from any other clubs that you were very close to taking and leaving? Yes, sir. A lot of people don't notice that, but I was going to actually become a uh, Illawarra Hawk uh, back in the day. I think it was probably around two around two thousand or just before. You know, the bullets didn't want to pay me and. They were lucky because I was putting my my furniture in storage, packing up my house, and uh, I told my wife to turn off my mobile phone, which she forgot. And then the bullets rang at like midnight, saying, oh, "We're going to accept your offer." And I said, "Oh well, lucky for you, because I was going to LOR, and when I come back, I was going to do some serious damage." But yeah, it never happened anyway. I ended up staying with the bullets and. They ended up getting rid of me in 2001 anyway, so. All right, Leroy, a couple of personality questions just to wrap up the interview. You know, aside from, mm-hmm. you know, your home ground at Brisbane Entertainment Center, where was your mm-hmm. favorite place to play basketball? Uh, anywhere the game was played. I just loved playing. And mm-hmm. I, I would have to say Sydney would have been one of my favorites too because my wife's family's from Sydney, so I used to get a lot of support when I came to Sydney. But in saying that, I lived in Adelaide. I get a lot of respect there. Perth, because they were so tough. Uh, all those places, Illawarra, when they used to bang, when they had the snake pit, man, and they'd be banging on the support system up over the uh, 
on the basket when you're shooting foul shots. I mean, you name it. Even just going to Tasmania back in the day, they had a good uh, venue down there. I, I just love basketball and playing. I don't care where I'm playing. As long as people come out and support me, and I'll play anywhere because I, that's how much love I have and respect for the game. If people pay to come see you play, you got to perform. And, of course, Melbourne was always, you know, when they had the, uh, was it the Glass House or the stadium's no longer there. The Melbourne Tigers played, yeah. Yeah, and they were so kind, man. They even sent me a piece of the floor when they tore it up. So, you know, it's it's been great playing, just playing basketball in general. Being able to do that in Australia and and all over Australia, man, I, I can't complain at all. Leroy, who was the hardest player to guard in the NBL? The hardest player to guard in the NBL, and now you might think I'm conceited, was me. If I didn't prepare myself to go out and play, then that was going to make life very tough. But I don't know, because, you know, some guys, certain guys did different things. So it's, it's kind of hard to just nail one guy down. But I can remember once I was playing against, I think it was the Melbourne Tigers, and I can't remember the guy's name. He played at Kentucky, the little point guard. And uh, I remember I saw him coming at me at the foul line. Before I could adjust, he was laying the ball up, and I thought, damn, how did he do that? So, But that there have been many great players that have, you know, special talents and some, you know, specialize in certain things. But, yeah, I, I, I say, you know, I was probably my biggest critic. And if I wasn't up on my game, then, you know, because, I mean, I'm sure they would say the same thing. But that's life. And yeah. I guess now I can sound a bit conceited. So I'm retired. No one can <laughs> do nothing about that now. <laughs> was there anyone that... You know, particularly brought out the best in you, like maybe someone like an Andrew Gaze or a Shane Hill. Who who was it? Well, of course, Andrew Gaze is always going to bring out the best in you, you know, because this guy is one guy that, you know, he's done it all, man. You know, he's a top competitor. Uh, there are also guys like, you know, you look at Al Green. I played with him for a year. Another tough competitor. Uh Play with who else? I played with so many and against so many guys over that long period of time. It's it's almost impossible to just pick out one or two guys, you know, because like I said, everyone stood out in their own. I mean, you're talking about people like Herb the Snake, uh, you know, from from Canberra. You know, you look at all those guys: Phil Smythe, uh, yeah. Mark Davis, you know, Tiny Pinda. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. Mike Mitchell, Andre LaFleur, Ronnie the Rat, Larry Sinstock, Danny Morsu. You know, a lot of these guys were good players, man. You know, I played with Cal Bruton. Uh, yeah, it just goes on and on. But, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things, man. If you, if you had to, if I could just pick out one, that would be great, but I guess if you look at the overall history of Australian basketball, it definitely would have to be Andrew Gaze. But, I mean, there were some other guys that could freaking dunk you in, in, in the ball at the same time in the basket. So, And I wasn't the biggest guy in the league, so I had to. I was always taught that you got to outthink and out-hustle your opponent because I can't out-muscle them. So that's basically... And and play defense. Don't let them get the ball. Because there were some guys that were known for defense, too. Peter Alla, Tim Marcy. Those guys were yeah. tough. You try and score against them guys, man, they just as tough as trying to stop somebody. Now they're trying to stop you. So, of course, you know they're going to beat you up. But Warren Pink, you know, there's a lot of cats out there that would put a beating on you, but, you know, you play over that. So, yeah, I can't just name one guy because, like I said, they all did so many different things. Yeah. Do you feel the leagues now, both 
you know, professionally overseas in, in the NBA and also back here in NBL, do you think it's a lot more softer than when you played? Because it seems that you guys back in the day used to take a lot more hits. Oh, yeah, but I, I think that's, I don't know if I would call it softer, but that's just the way the league is these days. That's, that's all over the world, you know, but uh, I don't know. You try getting out there and going a day. Some big boys out there, man. You know, mm. just a bump of just a mistake and running to you could hurt you. But uh, one thing I can't get over, though, is when guys get knocked down now and they can't get up until someone runs and help them up. I'm like, what, <laughs> what is that all about? I don't get that part, man. I was working with some kids the other day, and this kid, every time he's fall down, he lay down there for like two minutes waiting for somebody to help him up. I'm like, shit, get up. I don't get that part these days, but I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I played in a different time, different era. So it is what it is these days. You just got to adjust to the whistle of the referee and keep playing. Blue, have you had much chance to watch Ben Simmons play at all? Who? Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Yeah, I watched him in college. Ben Simmons. Yeah, Ben Simmons. I watched him in college, but... I think he's going to be a better pro than he was in college. Uh, mm. He's such a versatile player. And from all reports, he's working on his jump shot now. And uh, I think he's going to bring a whole other dimension to the to 76ers and to the Boomers when he gets back. So we, 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 I think we're going to get a medal in 2020. We definitely have a lot of NBA players in there. Patrick Mills, Delhi. Bogut, Inglis. This is quite a yeah. depth in Australian yeah. basketball is quite good right now. Yeah, Thormaker. Uh, yeah, there are quite a few guys that are coming up now. So I think if you look at the overall world league, I think we're we're right up there now. You know, I think we'll take the next step and get a get a medal. You heard it first. It's exclusive. From Leroy Lodge. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be dancing. Leroy, I'm going to take you back that. to your childhood now in Baltimore. Growing up, what posters did you have on your childhood bedroom wall growing up? I had no posters on my wall. I used to watch a lot of basketball. I wasn't into posters and stuff like that. I would just watch basketball 24-7, a lot of college, college and uh I remember just going home, watching the pros in the college. Because, you know, like I said, we used to go watch the the Baltimore Bullets play. That was a part of my, remember I told you about the power of the mind. This is my thought process. I'm so yeah. far away from home, 10,000 miles. So I play with a team called the Brisbane Bullets. And in, in, in Queensland, we have the Baltimore Bullets in Baltimore. Queensland is known for seafood. Maryland is known for seafood. Brisbane begins with a B. Baltimore begins with a B. So there, you know, there's a connection, man. There's Mm -hmm. a connection, and this is, once again, the power of the mind. You know, I'm so far away. How can I make this work for me? And those are little things that I used to do. So, And beer begins with a B. No, just kidding, man. (laughs) <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to have a beer one day, bud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, final question. Leroy, you're going to be hosting a private dinner party. Now, you've got five invites to this party. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but it can be anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? Anyone dead or alive. Oh, man. And I can't invite any family or friends. No family or friends. Oh. This is just for you. Okay. Just for me, I probably want to invite uh, definitely Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, uh, Harriet Tubman, who was instrumental in getting a lot of slaves freed on the on the railroad. Uh, who else? Hmm. See, now it becomes tough. I said three. <laughs> Two, mate. Uh you said like that could be dead there. or alive. Olivia you Newton-John would have to be there, wouldn't she? Who? Olivia Newton-John would have to get a C, wouldn't she? 
Oh uh, yeah, but I'm I'm over that now, man. That was you know that was just a flash a flashback then. But did you say oh, that she's too old for you now? Hmm. She's too old for you now. Yeah, I'm married, man. I got kids. I got a family now. That's that's out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> she had a chance. Yeah. Uh, did you say dead or alive? Yes, sir. Okay. In that aspect, I would definitely take. Uh, maybe, hmm, mm-hmm. who do I really like? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not that type of guy that really wants to be around anyone, you know, but if I had to, I guess, hmm, like it's really hard. I'm going to say Oprah Winfrey, but I don't really know about that one. Maybe she can tell me how she made all that money. Uh, Just give you some money. Yeah. And the last person, uh, I would say, um, it would have to be some comedian. Maybe I would say, uh, what's his name? Richard Pryor. Kevin Hart? Nah, Richard Pryor. Wow. Yeah, I'm not a big He's Kevin Hart fan. No. no. I'll go with Richard Pryor. Leroy, before I let you go, what's the best way for people to connect with you if they want to get involved with the foundation? Oh, they can hit hit me up on uh, Foundation. And send me an email or whatever, but I'm in the process of changing everything over at the moment uh, to the Leroy Loggins organization. So, yeah, if they want to send me an email, they could hit me on Foundation, or alternatively, they could have a look at my website, the Leroy Loggins community organization i think there's a number and stuff on there that they can contact me on and yeah that's about it fantastic well leroy loggins i really appreciate you stopping by talking with tk i really appreciate all the little stories and you know all the words of wisdom are really you know found all that visualization stuff you know really interesting man so i really appreciate you sharing your stories yeah but i think I'm going to have a book coming out. I need to start writing down a lot of my life experiences, especially growing up in Baltimore, and especially after seeing that 30 for 30 on ESPN, the Baltimore boys. Yeah, I'm the kid on the other side, you know, that didn't make the NBA, that, Mm. you know, that had a lot of uh, setbacks growing up. So, yeah, I'll keep you posted. Definitely. We'll have to get you back on. You can tell us all about the book. We'd love to get involved, man. Yeah. So, thanks again for, uh, especially all the entertainment for me growing up, man. You uh, kept me very entertained and very inspired. So, thank you so much. No worries, TK, and thank you for the support and, uh, and the opportunity to be able to 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 get my word out there and talk to the to your your people out there, your my fans and your audience. I hope and uh, yeah, life goes on, man. I'm writing another chapter. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with Leroy Loggins. Next on the show, I've got former Wanderers captain and current Newcastle Jets player Nikolai Topol-Stanley. After that, we're also going to be recording with former AFL great Anthony Kudafides. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to get in touch with me, best way is Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Or please connect with me. I'm Talking With TK on Facebook, TKNL Fitness on Twitter or TNL on Instagram. But until next time, I'm Tristan Cannell and this was Talking with TK.